0: Hey everyone, I am excited to announce that Esther, Something Hidden, Something Revealed, is now available on Amazon as a side study, Volume H, in the Gospel Feast series. The Book of Esther is a mysterious one. As written, it is a book with many contradictions. The name Esther means something hidden. It does contain several historical conundrums and a handful of mysteries. It is the only book in the Bible that never mentions God at all. Why? Many Jews today say that it is just fiction, because they can't find any of the characters mentioned within historically. And yet, they celebrate the book with a major festival annually. It is also one of the books that is required reading in the weeks before Passover, every year. Not by God, but by Esther herself. Why do this if you insist the book is just fiction? It is one of the only books that Joseph Smith made no corrections to, although he considered it to be historical. How is any of this possible? Esther reads as an eyewitness account, but then struggles with the simple, logical issues and frequently contradicts itself in some very strange ways. How come? Considering that Esther became the most powerful queen of the world's largest empire, none of this makes any sense. Or does it? Despite the wonderful story, we are left with the puzzling questions Who was King Ahasuerus? Who was Mordecai? Who was Haman? And actually, who was Esther? The answers may just surprise you. The book is not fiction. And in fact, all of the puzzling contradictions were put in place for a very devious reason, and not by Esther. Join us on this astounding historical reconstruction and be amazed at what Esther really tried to do. And how, had she been able to accomplish what she had tried, your life would be very different right now. You think you know the book of Esther? Are you sure? Let's feast on the Word of God together and see what a woman of God can do When she really puts her mind to it, it also might make an incredible Mother's Day gift for the ladies in your life. Happy Mother's Day.
1: This is the Gospel Feast Series for those that need a little meat after the milk. It's time to feast on the Word. Welcome back. In our study of the Book of Jonah, we're here with author and historian Reed Simonson, who in our last episode had told us about the plan that brought us here. But before we go any further, we need to take some time and learn to think more like the ancients, or Eastern thinking, as he calls it. So, Reed, can you give us lesson two on Eastern thinking?
0: Yes, thank you. I do think it's really important. And in fact, if you can start to embrace Eastern thinking as you read the Scriptures, and particularly the Old Testament, and some parts of the Doctrine and Covenants, believe it or not, you will see how it will open in ways that will surprise you, and that you will understand them in ways that you didn't understand them before.
1: So, to quote Nephi, he was learned as the Jews, so he was able to explain their
0: scriptures to his children. That's right. We need to be able to think like Nephi. The simplest way to start thinking like an Easterner is to stop thinking so much. Oh, okay. The people of the ancient East, including Israel, placed more value on their feelings and their bodily senses than on cold reason and fine truth. They knew, or rather felt, that their senses were tangible— and that which is tangible is fact. They were less impressed with the abstract logic of analytical thinking, the basis of our modern perception of the world. Jews felt that too much mental analyzing could deceive people, much like a lawyer turning and twisting words before a jury until truth is error and a shadow of doubt is imagined. Jews were certain that one's senses and feelings were real events in real time, making them much harder to fake than reasoned logic. The Lord himself seems to agree, at least in part. There's an interesting scripture in the Doctrine and Covenants. Um, Gosh, Peter, read for us Doctrine and Covenants 8-2. Behold, I will tell you in your mind and in your
1: heart by the Holy Ghost, which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. It
0: is much harder for Satan to deceive someone who receives two witnesses to a truth. Something that is both logical to the mind, like your Western thinking, and tangible to your senses, the swelling of your heart, for lack of a better description, is more Eastern thinking. These together are more likely to be true. Feelings alone can deceive, and logic too often is twisted until it fails. The most important thing to know about Eastern perception is that analytical abstractions, things that have no physical form, like anger, happiness, joy, lust, faith, devotion, loyalty, betrayal, and so forth, are all understood by their effect on the senses and their tangible manifestation in the real world. Thus, in a very real sense, Eastern nouns are more like English verbs. Oh, that's very interesting. For example, as a Greek thinker, you and I completely understand the abstract concept of a gift— We can talk about needing to find the perfect gift for a special occasion or how nice it is to receive a gift. We can talk about gift giving as a concept. How much money the world spends on gifts for the holidays, for example. We can speak about these in lofty terms without ever addressing the actual gift that might be given or the specifics of any gift at all. The ancient Easterners did not talk in these lofty abstractions. Gifts didn't have meaning disconnected from reality. Thus, instead of reading in the scriptures that the wise men brought gifts to the baby Jesus, the old Hebrew concept slips through they bore him specific gifts, and that they fell down and worshipped him. And then the actual presents are listed. Let's take a look at it, Peter. Uh, how about Matthew 2.11?
1: And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense,
0: and myrrh. It is the gold, frankincense, myrrh, the worship, their treasures, and the bowing down that are important here. These are the gifts, and it is specific. In ancient Hebrew, the word for knee is the same word as the word for gift. When you give a gift to someone, you give him your knee. This is what the wise men were doing, the verb, when they fell down and worshipped him. Why? What is going on? Well, to the Eastern way of thinking, the gift wasn't the gift, but you, your love, your consideration, your desire for the other person is the real gift. You are the gift. And the sign of that is bending your knee. It is a verb, an action, a good work. Do you see where I'm going with this? That's interesting. Continue. It is something that you have to feel. The wise men being sent from Babylon at the command of Daniel 500 years previous, as we learned in our other feasts, understood this. And it comes through in the translation, they fell down, most likely on their knees, and worshipped the baby. And then, almost as an aside, it is mentioned that they also brought along some stuff for him. So
1: it really does express in the scripture the devotion, the emotion, the feeling they had that they were devoted to this young child. And yes, they had some other stuff. We focus on the gifts, but what an Eastern thinker would see, wow, they had a profound, intense love and feeling for this young boy.
0: Yes, we see the gift as being five foot wide, worth four hundred zillion dollars, whatever it is. They did not see it that way. They don't think that way. Now that you have a better grasp on the Lord's dictum that every knee shall bend and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is the Christ, to the Western mind, we see a king with a scepter ready to whack us if we didn't get on one knee like a humble dog and say, Yes, sir, your majesty. But the Easterners understood that the real gift being given is yourself acknowledging the Lord's salvation in love. Now, doesn't that feel better to your soul? I agree. And,
1: and like you said, that changes the meaning of every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow because every knee wants to. Every knee is excited. Everyone wants to praise the Lord, not because they're scared of him as a king.
0: And now you also know where we get the transition that a bridegroom gets down on one knee when proposing marriage to a sweetheart. He is offering himself as the gift in marriage. So do you feel it? Do you see it with your mind's eye? And can you meditate upon the image within you? If so, you are well on your way to being taught after the manner of the Jews, as Nephi said. So the point is, is that the Eastern thinkers and the Hebrews, the ancient Hebrews, were a sensual people. It is also useful to know that being a culture based on the tangible senses, the ancients were less hung up on sexuality, nudity, and bodily functions like we are today. This does not mean that they didn't understand the commandments regarding sexual sins, only that they understood sexuality differently. They saw God as the author and blesser of sex, and thereby truths could be learned from it. They saw the forces in nature as having masculine or feminine components. For example, time and motion and movement are inherently masculine, and hence are the priesthood. They cannot be separated. Space, home, and rest are inherently female. Life is brought about when time and motion male find a home in space or female is this not the story of the creation in genesis a man becomes the priesthood by virtue of his masculine duties he carves a holy space from chaos as a place of rest and inheritance for his family these priestly duties are not ones that can be bestowed upon the feminine just as the masculine cannot decide he wishes as a force of movement to be the rest of the holy home Men must set the universe in motion for the love of the woman and his family. The only thing the Father's dominion responds to is the will of God. I realize that this is going to be hard for some to hear in a genderless gold society. The ancients understood that women are the most holy space where a man's motion finds rest. This is another way of saying that after the Father finished building the earth, he went home to his wife for his day of rest. It says it in Matthew 19, 4 and 5.
1: Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh.
0: Our forebears saw all these things in God's creation as stemming from this truth. The male leaves the nest, thus motion, to find a place, female, to hold fast to. A rooster's home is where his hen nested. A bull's family could be found in the territory he protected for his herd. It spills into plant life as well. A pomegranate was male because it was an orb full of endless seed. A fig was female because it contained a space within for its hidden good. The ancients knew that God was a god of sex because sex was life, life was increase, and increase was kingdom. A temple with its spires reaching upward speaks of motion and movement. The place where it sits and its doors by which one enters speaks of rest, holy space, and home. Thus, in one place we have male and female joined. The temple is the life of God symbolized in physical form. The ancients knew that wherever you have male and female, you have life. Where you have life, there is God. And where there is God, there is love, family, and eternal increase. It is vastly larger than just love. Two men can have a deep love for one another. Two women can also. A dog and a man can have profound affection for each other. As humans, we all know that this is true. But there is only life where there is both motion, time, and consecrated safety, space, joined. How does this knowledge make you feel internally as it passes through you? If you can grasp it within, you are well on your way to thinking like an ancient Jew.
1: That's profound, and uh, deals with so much of the way the world operates today. People have lost this knowledge, or it has been so warped by the adversary. I do feel that this is the truth. Let's carry on.
0: As Westerners, we are more intellectual than sensual. Modern Bible readers are indebted to Martin Luther. When the father of the Reformation realized that the only hope for his beloved Catholic Church was to give the Bible to the masses in their native tongue, he was hit with a dilemma. How to bring old Eastern concepts forward in time while still making them accessible? First, and to his credit, Luther realized that the meaning was more important than the words. He has been called the father of modern translation for this very reason. Contradictory modern translations of the Bible are often merely attempts to overcome the problem of words versus meaning. Eastern peoples, like the old adage about farm boys, see the realities of life at a very early age. There are many examples in the Bible of this. Here is one from Isaiah. But we are all as an unclean
1: thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away.
0: Now, that's Isaiah 64-6 from the King James, but a more correct Hebrew translation of this same verse would be, And we are all as moral lepers,
1: unclean and full of decay, and all our justices are as the filthy rags of menstruous women. And we have all fallen as a dead leaf from a tree, and our iniquities, like the wind, have blown us away. So can you just see Queen Victoria listening to that
0: verse in church? I can see her getting squeamish, if that was read to her. The point here is that some things in this most perfect book have been softened to make them feel more holy, but softening the word of God is still altering it for man's sake, is it not? How perfect can an altered book be? We shall leave that debate for the Greek thinkers among us. As we study Jonah together, try to feel his images. If you allow yourself to get too caught up in the logic, you will miss the Jewish part of the message and fall into the very deep trap which Nephi lamented you can overthink the scriptures. Nephi's Jews understood the very writings that you and I puzzle over, but no longer. We are going to be good Jewish thinkers and feel our way through to some new understandings. Let's do it. Okay. We like to call this Greek bearing gifts. Oh, we've all heard that phrase. Be weary of the gifts Greeks bring. Oh, too funny. We owe much that is excellent in Western tradition to the Greeks. Our modern world has become so steeped in Grecian ways that we are not aware of what we have lost. The ability to think in abstractions has become so integral to modernity that it will prove useful to take a moment and discuss how this happened. Perhaps in school you remember studying Plato's theory of forms, also called the theory of ideas. I actually do remember studying that. Go on. It is as brilliant as it is entrapping. At its most fundamental... Plato asserted that non-material abstract forms or ideas, and not the material world known through the senses, possess the highest and most fundamental kind of reality knowable. He argued that there existed in one's mind the perfect form of any object or concept. It was only through comparing intellectually this perfected form with any earthly form that genuine knowledge could be obtained, He taught that these forms formulated a solution to the problem of universals. We have become so accustomed to this type of thinking that it is actually harder today for us to shut this type of logic off. But it was revolutionary in the ancient world, even dangerous. The Jews of Jesus' day vehemently opposed the Hellenization of their culture. Hellenization is a fancy way of saying that they saw the Western perception model that was creeping into Judaism as evil. In time, the Western model they abhorred took over. Today we are struggling to better understand the very scriptures we revere from that Western perspective and forcing them through ignorance into Western thought. Plato's coloring of thought has even slipped into translations of the Scriptures. Note the following translation of one of the Lord's teachings in Matthew. Matthew five
1: forty eight Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is
0: perfect. This scripture is understood in a Western way as saying, There is a form of perfection in the heavens, which is your model and guide. You are to become that. The abstraction of the form of perfection is not an Eastern concept, and therefore could not have been the correct meaning behind Jesus' words. Let's look at this scripture as a Jew of Jesus' day would have understood it. So this is how Matthew 5.48
1: should read. Correct. You be Kadesh even as your Father
0: in heaven is Kadesh. The Hebrew Kadesh is translated as holy or perfect in English, but these are also Western abstractions, so we know they are not strictly correct. Ancient Hebrew is tangible. Our concept of holy is actually a Western concept based on Plato's theory of forms. In fact, it is the very definition of his theory. God Anything associated with God and all attributes of God is, in modern Western teaching, that he is the man of holiness, the perfect form, and ideal man. We are but shadows of his perfection. Our ultimate purpose in life is to find, obtain, and reflect his perfected form. Okay, I have been taught that so many times in Christendom that my Western mind accepts it until I try to do it. Once I try and make it tangible, I have a major problem. I have no idea how to do it. This should always be your first clue that something is wrong. The Book of Mormon teaches that God has never given his children any commandment that they could not achieve, but here, it seems, is one. As of late, we have gotten around this Western conundrum by teaching that perfection is a process and that holiness takes time. I, for one, am grateful to hear this, since I have no idea how I can be perfect, but I do want to be.
1: Or even how long it would take to become perfect. A long time. A long, long, uh, we won't recap.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A clearer understanding can be gained by looking at the Eastern, tangible nature of the word Kadesh, which has morphed into our Western, Holy and Perfection. How can man be holy or perfect when he is obviously in a fallen state? We are told that all fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, the command to be holy and perfect is not obtainable. Something is obviously missing here. Once you learn the tangible Eastern meaning of Kadesh, which is set apart or uncommon, you are coming into touch with something doable. Doable things are Jewish. I like it. I like this. Let's pursue this. Consider this. Jesus was actually saying that we were to be set apart from the world. We are to be uncommon, non-natural, not carnal, as in fallen and beastly, because our Father in heaven is uncommon. Becoming uncommon is a tangible, obtainable goal. It is something we can actually do. For example, men use common and vulgar speech. Our Father in heaven does not. We should therefore not use common and vulgar speech. Our Father does not treat others in a common or beastly way. He is not a natural, common, fallen man. We should not be one either. I don't know how to be holy in a platonic sense, but I can try to do what Jesus would do, and I can work at not being a common, natural, beastly man. The very fact that I, like you, have been set apart from the world to try and be an example of god means that i am holy in the jewish understanding i have been set apart called out from the world and i need to act like it i need to be kadesh even as my father in heaven is kadesh that makes perfect sense too because that was one of the first commands jesus gave
1: to his disciples he called them out of the world to come be like him so he was
0: setting them apart and then showing them what that meant you've got it. The Jews of Jesus' day were not concerned about maintaining God's platonic holiness. They did not understand him to be a perfect, abstract, intangible idea. They saw him as they saw all things, tangibly. He was like the warmth of the sun on your skin. He was protective like the mighty bull in the pasture. He was strong like the lion in the field. He was swift like the eagle on its wing. And he was welcoming like the love of a shepherd to his flock. He was above all things, but not beyond all things. He was an uncommon man, possessing a body with parts and passions. God was a father who was set above, thus apart, from all other fathers. He had a father's love and was long-suffering in the rearing of his children. He was quick to mercy, but capable of justice as needed to correct, raise, and nurture his family. Due to either fear, respect, or love, he would take what he could get, he would teach his children to hold his house, name, laws, and requirements above the common ways of the earth. In the light of this more correct view, scriptural doctrines and actions make much more sense. Let's explore these together.
1: Matthew 7, 6. Give
0: not that which is
1: holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. John two sixteen. And Jesus said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my
0: father's house an house of merchandise. Do you see the balance here between common and set apart? Note how the Lord uses holy in the Doctrine and Covenants.
1: Doctrine and Covenants 124, 46. But if they will not hearken to my voice, nor unto the voice of these men whom I have appointed, they shall not be blessed because they pollute mine holy grounds and mine holy ordinances and charters
0: and my holy words which I give unto them. Do you see the tangible nature here? It is his grounds, ordinances, charters and words that are set apart from the common that he is protecting. This is why they are holy. Do you feel it? Let's look at the Book of Mormon, Alma chapter 13 verse 8.
1: Now they were ordained after this manner, being called with a holy calling and ordained with a holy ordinance, and taking upon them the high priesthood of the holy order, which calling, and ordinance, and high priesthood is without beginning or end.
0: Men and Satan have their own orders and institutions. Men and Satan have their own priesthoods, words, laws, and commandments. These are common. God, on the other hand, has set his ways apart from these— they are Kadesh to him and should be to us. They are holy. Here's a few more just to beat a dead horse.
1: Alma 10.9 And the angel said unto me, He is a holy man. Wherefore, I know he is a holy man, because it was said by an angel of God. Doctor and Covenants 115.7 Let the city far west be a holy and consecrated land unto me, and it shall be called holy, for the ground upon which thou standest is holy. Doctrine and Covenants two, Being inspired of the Holy Ghost to lay the foundation thereof and to build it up unto the most holy faith. 2 Nephi 6.10 And after they had hardened their hearts and stiffened their necks against the Holy One of Israel, behold, the judgments of the Holy One of Israel shall come upon them, and the day cometh that they shall be smitten and afflicted. Doctrine and Covenants 67 And in this place, let them lift up their voice and declare my word with loud voices, without wrath or doubting, lifting up holy hands upon them. For I am able to make you holy, and your sins are forgiven you. Helaman 15.7 And behold, ye do know of yourselves, for ye have witnessed it, that as many of them as are brought to the knowledge of the truth, and to know of the wicked and abominable traditions of their fathers, and are led to believe the holy scriptures, yea, the prophecies of the holy prophets, which are written, which leadeth them to faith on the Lord, and unto repentance, which faith and repentance bringeth a change of heart unto them. Doctrine and Covenants 124.39 Therefore, verily I say unto you, that your anointings, and your washings, and your baptisms for the dead, and your solemn assemblies, and your memorials for your sacrifices by the sons of Levi, and for your oracles in your most holy places wherein you receive conversations and your statutes and judgments, for the beginning of the revelations and foundation of Zion, and for the glory, honor, and endowment of all her municipals, are ordained by the ordinance of my holy house, which my people are always commanded to build unto my holy name. Moroni 6 9. And their meetings were conducted by the church after the manner of the workings of the Spirit, and by the power of the Holy Ghost. For as the power of the Holy Ghost led them whether to preach, or to exhort, or to pray, or to supplicate, or
0: to sing, even so it was done. Do you see how in all cases holiness is connected to a tangible object here? It does not stand on its own. Holiness is not an abstract noun in Hebrew or in heaven. It is a living adjective. It alerts the reader to a person, place or object that is important, because it is a marker along the straight and narrow path back to God. It is a marker that is, or must in our lives become, uncommon and set apart. Thus the world and the natural woman and man do not understand it. I think we should close Peter with Nephi's explanation. I think it's best. Nephi said it this way.
1: Second Nephi 9:41. O then, my beloved brethren, come unto the Lord, the Holy One. Remember that his paths are righteous. Behold, the way for man is narrow, but it lieth in a straight course before him. And the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel. And he employeth no servant there. And there is none other way save it be by the gate. For he cannot be deceived, for the Lord God is his name.
0: I think that's a wonderful exposé to get us thinking more Eastern.
1: You know, this lesson on Eastern thinking, I believe, will help me tremendously. And I hope those that are listening, it will help them too. Read the scriptures with this new mindset and come to appreciate the lessons there that were hidden in plain sight all along. Now that we have these tools available to us, read what is next in our study of Jonah. I think we're ready to
0: talk about the man from Galilee, particularly the prophet
1: Jonah. Okay, and we know of another famous man from Galilee, but until next time, may the Spirit of the Lord be with you.